Hello and welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoon. My name is Helen Mully and the author joining you in your classroom or wherever you're listening for this episode is the writer responsible for a whole shelf's worth of fantastic books, including many I'm sure you'll have heard of. The Goldfish Boy, The Light Jar, The Day I Was Erased and most recently The Graveyard Riddle. I think she's simply brilliant and I'm so thrilled to have her with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa Thompson. Thank you for having me. How exciting. That's my pleasure. Now, Lisa, every time I speak to a new guest on the podcast, one of the things I like to find out is just how your life path took you from being a a kid in the classroom, writing stories for the teacher, just, just like our listeners do to being someone with your name on the cover of an actual published book that we can buy in a shop or or borrow from the library. So how did that happen for you? Well, it was a really long journey. So I distinctly remember being 10 years old and um, my teacher at the time asked us all to write a poem and we all wrote a poem and we handed it, it at the end of the day. And then the next day we all went into the classroom and my poem and only mine had been put on the wall. And Teachers didn't really do displays back then. They didn't really put our work on the walls. And I was just so, well, partly embarrassed, but inside absolutely thrilled. And the teacher passed the poem on to my mum and my mum has kept it for 37 years. So (laughs) that shows you how old I am. But I distinctly remember being 10 years old thinking, I really quite enjoyed doing that. Maybe one day I could write books and be an author. And it was around when I was 10 that I started to read more and really enjoy books and realise that books are really powerful things. And to be honest, I didn't really do anything about it for many, many years. I kept thinking about it. And it was one of those things I thought, one day I will be an author. One day I'll write a book and I'll, I'll do it next week. Maybe I'll start next month. And I put it off until I was in my late thirties and I decided, yes, now I'm going to do it. For some reason, I just thought it's now, I can't keep putting it off all this time. So, (laughs) but definitely the idea came about when I was 10 years old. I kind of want to know if you can remember any lines from the poem now. I have the poem. My mum kept the poem for all these years and it was about Faye Doodle who had a gigantic poodle. <laughs> and it's. I think I was so proud of the fact that I could rhyme poodle and doodle together. <laughs> and then it got quite bleak. The poodle died and had a grave that was 10 foot wide. Oh. So yes, I can remember it really, really well. But I, I think it was the first time that I got really absorbed in writing. And just like when you're reading, I think you when, you, when things are going well when you're writing, and I'm sure many of your listeners will have experienced this you can just kind of forget where you are and you're you're so wrapped up in your characters and the setting that things disappear around you which obviously happens we we all experience that when we're reading but that's when I first realized it can happen when you're writing as well okay so you were in your your late 30s and and you Mm -hmm. decided right now now is the time to do this Mm -hmm. this author thing that I've been thinking about since I was 10 years old Mm -hmm. so how long was it, do you think, 
at that point before you had an idea that you knew was was big enough and, and right enough to make a complete story out of? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think that is one of the reasons I put it off for so long because I thought you had to have the whole book in your head and ready to go before you actually sat down to write. I didn't really realise that sometimes, some people do work like that, but most of the time you're working out the story as you go. And so I started out with short stories. I love short stories. I love reading short stories. And I just thought I can't possibly write a long novel. I'm going to start with little short stories. And one of those short stories was about a boy called Matthew who was too frightened to leave his bedroom and he watched the world from the window. And I just felt that Matthew's voice was quite easy to write. I'm not sure why. It just seemed to click. And then when I thought of trying a a longer book, I, in my mind, thought, don't think of a whole book. Just think of each chapter as a short story. Mm. And before you know it, you will have a whole book. And I think that was the turning point, really, not being overwhelmed with finishing the story or getting to the end. It did take a long while, I think, because I didn't know the ending and I wasn't sure where I was going and I hadn't really planned it. It did take a long time. But um, just thinking of the just the next line and the next chapter helped me to not feel too overwhelmed, I think. It, Matthew's story, obviously, is is what ended up as, as The Goldfish Boy, which was your, your first published novel and was incredibly well received and people absolutely loved it and anyone who's read it will will know why but were you surprised by that were you surprised by how popular it was and and how did it make you feel yes I really was and I think that's another thing with writing a book I think if you haven't a publishing deal before you start and you almost have to forget about that and I really did with the goldfish boy I just thought I'm going to write this book for me and just to think at the end of the day if nothing happened with it I've written the book and I've made this Mm -hmm. I've done overcome this challenge so when it when it kind of took off and it was chosen for Waterstones book of the month and things like that it was incredibly overwhelming and also to be honest the thing that really surprised me was that the book has been used so much in classrooms I hadn't even thought about that I hadn't really thought that my book could be used and visiting schools and seeing children's work and displays on the walls it's that I think was the biggest shock to me and um, it felt wonderful. I was going to say a nice shock, I hope. <laughs> really nice shock, really, <laughs> no, really nice no, shock. No, I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> no. And also I think you kind of forget people are going to read the book one day and people are <laughs> going to ask you about the characters because to be honest, for so long it was just me and the, and the characters and then you're sharing them with other people and um, yeah, that's, that's a really wonderful feeling as well hearing people's opinions and views on the story. Did you find yourself having to fill in backstories that you hadn't really thought about because you didn't think you'd ever have to? Yes, very much so. Especially my second book, The Light Jar, there was a chicken in the um, in the story, just a kind of a, a wild chicken. And I often get asked what happened to the chicken after because I didn't kind of finish you know where the chicken ended up so I had to in, uh, kind of make up a new story about the chicken and and how he lived happily ever after <laughs> so yes I do find and also um just want to know what happens after the story's finished I get lots of questions well, well how is Matthew now and how are the characters now which is really interesting it is and that's possibly mm. something we might talk about a little more later on I think mm. um, for reasons which will become obvious yes your books they're all 
different from each other in, in terms of the, the topics they cover and the places they go. But they do all tend to have something in common, which is a mystery that the protagonist wants to solve or, or needs to solve or, or finds themselves having to solve. Mm. Are you a fan of mystery books? Is, is that the kind of book that you like to read? It is. I'm. I'm a big fan of books more with twists and turns uh-huh. and things. I love the feeling when somebody, yeah, isn't going to can't guess what's going to happen next, or you take them in a different direction. I love that when I'm reading a book, and that's one of the things I loved. And TV programs that do that, and films, I love that kind of area. Yeah. And the mystery element came about kind of by accident, really, with my first book, with the Goldfish Boy. I had a character who didn't like to leave his bedroom and the story around his um, fear of germs and OCD. And then I realised actually nothing's happening. (laughs) So something needs to happen to make these pages (laughs) turn. So the mystery element kind of came about by accident. And I didn't really set out to be a mystery writer. And it's something that I've kind of learnt as I've gone along, really. And now I've sort of established how to do red herrings so kind of taking the reader in the direction they think oh yes I know who's done it and then you swerve into a different area and oh I didn't see that coming so it's definitely been a bit of an education for me but now I can't imagine writing anything else really I love to to keep the reader guessing for as long as possible absolutely and that is so satisfying as a reader I think Mm. I always think I know it's a good book if I'm sitting there quietly reading on the sofa and every so often I actually yelp or or make some other explanation because I've been taken so much by surprise the book I'm reading at the moment is doing that to me and and brilliant my my partner is on the other sofa as I occasionally make these strange noises because the book has (laughs) surprised me or shocked me or annoyed me that's wonderful. I think that's one. I think that's the thing about books. You want them to uh, hopefully give you an emotion of some sort, something in a good way. <laughs> Not, yes. um, so whether it's laughter or you're, I oh, made someone cry, or they just didn't see something happening in their grips. And I think that's what the best thing is about books. Personally, I think that's what I I want to feel something when I read in a book. So that's what I try to do for my readers, really. Yes, absolutely. And I think you completely succeed with that. Thank you. I would really like it if you could read a little bit from your latest book, The Graveyard Riddle, for us. And and then perhaps we can talk a bit more about that. So if that's okay, I'm going to pause recording for a moment or two while you find your place. And then we'll be right back to see if you can make me yelp. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with our guest today, Lisa Thompson. Lisa, you're going to read to us now, thank you very much, from your latest book, The Graveyard Riddle. Before you start, I wonder if you'd mind just explaining a little bit about the plot so far to put readers in the picture. Yes, absolutely. So The Graveyard Riddle is told by Melody, Melody Bird, and she was a character from The Goldfish Boy, but this story is all about her. And Melody, as the title kind of suggests, loves visiting the graveyard. She finds it peaceful, she loves the wildlife, and she takes her her dog Frankie for walks there every single day. And at this point in the story, 
she's kind of come across a new character who has been hiding out in an old, really tumble down building, which she's discovered is a plague house that dates back to the 16th century. And she's been hearing a few creaks and sounds as she's been going there. But finally, somebody has walked out from behind the door and he's standing there right in front of her. And he's kind of said to her, well, actually, I'm here on an important mission. I am a spy and his name is Hal. My first thought was that I didn't think spies wore red knitted cardigans. Spies wore inconspicuous clothes like dark suits or long grey Macintosh coats, clothes that would help them to blend into the background. This boy was wearing trousers that were far too short for him and a cardigan that could be seen from about three miles away. He stood a little taller in front of me. A spy, I said. Hal nodded. Frankie, my dog, sat back down, realising that we weren't leaving after all. I wound his lead a couple of times around my hand. You don't look like a spy, I said cautiously. You look too ordinary. Hal smiled. That's deliberate, of course. Who would suspect me? You don't look old enough to be a spy either, I said. How old are you? Fifteen? Sixteen at the most? I'm old enough, he said. And anyway, who says spies have to be adults? We have to look like the people that you would least expect. I still wasn't convinced. That doesn't sound right, I said. Let me put it this way, he said. There is a lot of highly confidential work happening around all of us, Melody Bird. Even I don't know all about it. But what I do know is that sometimes not knowing is in our best interest. Do you understand? I thought for a moment. No, not really, I said. Anyway, there can't be much spy work in a graveyard. That's where you're wrong, he said. Follow me. He turned back into the other room. I stood there for a moment, wondering if I should just go home and leave this boy to his strange and make-believe world. I was intrigued, though. I followed, keeping Frankie close, and stood in the doorway. Hal was standing by the dirty window. The corners were thick with spider's webs, and a collection of dead flies lay belly up along the edge of the glass. There he is. Hal checked a digital watch on his wrist. Right on time. He glanced at me. You can come and see if you like, but keep out of sight. He is highly dangerous. I walked closer. All I could see was the crumbling wall, the tops of the weeds and some of the gravestones. There's no one there, I said quietly. Look closer, he's over there on the right, whispered Hal. I took a few more steps until I was standing right beside him. This time I saw who he was pointing at. Through the gap in the wall and across the weeds, I could see a man. He was standing in front of one of the newer headstones by the main path sheltering under a red umbrella with his head slightly bowed. That, said Hal, is Martin Stone, one of the most notorious criminals of the 21st century. The man looked to be around 60 years old or so, and he was wearing dark trousers and a light beige jacket. He took a white handkerchief out of his pocket, shook it open with one hand, then blew his nose. He didn't look like a notorious criminal to me. Are you sure? I said. He looks, well, ordinary. Hal snorted. Ha, yes, he probably does. He likes to pretend that he's just a regular guy, but we've been tracking him for months. I wondered who he meant by we. 
Oh, and there's the mystery. I love how that extract throws us right into the middle of it, just like melodies thrown in. And I also love the way that Hal is so completely matter of fact in the way that he talks about some really quite bizarre things. And somehow that makes them all the more intriguing. Yes, yes. And I think he, Melody just loves people, any kind of different person, I think. And he's so different. And Howl is just, she finds him really enthralling. She's kind of suspicious for a while. He's this guy who he says he is. And is that really a criminal? But she's kind of swept away with Howl's story and the excitement of staking out a criminal. And also the fact that he does magic tricks. Howl yes. has um, taught himself how to do card tricks and make things disappear and um, which I'm a fan of myself so I think I would love that I love magic and seeing tricks like that so I've kind of used that in the story Um, so yeah she's swept away with him really yeah I think it's like being a writer really there are some people who are just so good at, at storytelling that you really don't mind if what they're saying is true or not because they just tell the story so brilliantly yes yes I agree yes <laughs> I, I also think it's interesting as you mentioned earlier that you've brought back the characters or, or, or some of the characters from the goldfish boy for this book although it's not really what you would call a sequel as such is that just because you were missing them Lisa well, I just, when I wrote The Goldfish Boy, I kind of felt there was more stories there. I think the setting really lends itself well to lots of different stories, um, just like a soap opera, really. So we have a cul-de-sac, a dead-end street with all different neighbours, and they've all kind of got their secrets and their issues and their stories. And I thought, I'm, I'm definitely going to go back one day and write Melody's story. She was one of my favourite characters to to write in The Goldfish Boy. And it just, it just, the time seemed right. And I knew I didn't want to write a sequel. I really wanted to write like a spin-off or I think my publisher called it a companion novel. So you don't have to read The Goldfish Boy first, but it was really lovely to go back to a setting that I recognised, characters that I knew, and then think of something different that could happen to them or around them. So do you think you might go back again? I think so. I haven't, um, nothing's been, I haven't spoken to my editor about this yet, but I really think there's one more character definitely in the close that has his a story to tell and that would be Jake. I think, yes, I think Jake's definitely a really interesting character. So he's a friend of Melody's and Matthew yeah. who is kind of seen as a, a bit of a bully. He can be quite nasty and he's had his own issues and I think he would, oh, I'd love to write a story from his his perspective. So yeah, watch this space maybe one day. Well, I think all the listeners to the podcast will definitely support you in in that in that mission. Fantastic. I think that's an excellent plan. <laughs> I always wonder, and this might sound like a really obvious thing to ask, but it seems especially possible when you think about the kinds of stories that you write. I just I just wonder if writers, authors are the kind of people who wander around the world all the time, looking around them and seeing stories in all the the people around them. So do you find yourself in, in the supermarket, mm. you know, looking at the old lady choosing her vegetables and, and wondering whether she's actually a supervillain? <laughs> or <laughs> that's <laughs> more essential. That's just my fond imagination. No, no. 
there there is a lot of that and i think um we're a bit like magpies in that the, there's little jewels around us of stories or even just a sentence someone says or um a phrase and i've i've used many many of those little tiny nuggets so it it doesn't have to be a whole story or a whole plot line it can just be something that enhances a story so for example in the light jar my main character has a book that I invented called Freaky Things to Freak You Out. And I've made up lots of the things in there that are supposedly true. And one of those came from my children who told me, if you mouth the word colourful, it looks like you're saying, I love you. So the listeners might want to try that on somebody next to them or try it in a mirror. And I just thought that was so clever. And when I realised it, it actually is true and it does work I thought I'm going to steal that and put that in a book so I'm kind of doing things like that very often I'm always anything that's kind of um, even if it's a little bit of history I drop that into a book or something that's quite quirky and different I definitely try and stack those up in a in a notebook and then see if I can slot them into a book somewhere I love that and that that's the kind of thing we can all do I guess isn't it just just collect these little ideas or thoughts or or pictures or snippets of things that people say and and just put them in our in our pockets where later they Mm. might come out and we can we can fit them all together in a slightly different shape and, and make a story out of them that that just sounds like such fun it is. You could almost create like a mood board and you don't have to have any words. Like you say, it can be pictures or you can jot a few things down. Memories are wonderful. Any memories that you've had. I use lots of memories from my childhood in my books. There's characters that are based on people I knew and um, just the memories of how things, the weather felt on a hot day when the when the pavement feels really hot when you're walking to school and things like that. So I think there's lots of things that we can, we might not think we have lots of stories around us, but they definitely are. And I've, I've done workshops in classes where we've tried to think of a memory. And when you kind of recall a story and tell it out loud you can you embellish it don't you I think I think there's something in this that we're all kind of storytellers and we all like to make a story a bit more interesting for somebody we're telling or we might uh, make it a bit funnier than it actually happens (laughs) and I think we all have that natural ability to do that so yes have a go absolutely I think that sounds like a, a brilliant thing to do I, I can't believe it, but the time is running away from us a little bit. And there's 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 more that I want to talk to you about, Lisa. But mm-hmm. before I do, I do just need to remind the teachers and the parents listening that we produce a free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom so that children and young people can take the advice that they hear from our guests and they can put it into action as they write their own stories and, and create their own masterpieces. You can download all the packs Um, including the one that goes with this episode at plazoom.com and the details are in the episode notes. So Lisa, if that's okay with you, I'm just going to pause again for a moment while I gather my thoughts and then we'll come back and I've got a couple more tricky questions to throw at you. Fantastic. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with this episode's special guest, Lisa Thompson. 
Lisa, I know that our listeners will want me to ask this, so I am going to dive straight in with it in the hope that you will give us a scoop. <laughs> what are you working on now? What's what's coming next? Uh, what well, I'm working on, the first draft of my next novel, um, and this book will be out next January. So I, I seem to have ended up with a regular slot in, a, in January, so just after Christmas. And I'm in the very, very early stages. There's no title. I can tell you it's... Con- Go on. I think I'm allowed to say it's a boy's perspective and his sister. So it's kind of the boy's telling the story, but there are um, his sister is around his younger sister, and there is another mystery. I'm <laughs> being very careful here, aren't I? Because <laughs> um, because it's so early on in the in the process of writing, it, it won't change. I'm pretty sure that bit won't change. But um, yeah, I'm really I'm really enjoying it so far. I always get to a point where it's the hardest thing I've ever done and I really don't like it. And it's, yeah, but at the moment I'm in those early stages of, oh, this is wonderful. I'm really enjoying this. So I'm about 3000 words in so far. So a long way to go yet. Oh, that does sound exciting though. And I, I was wondering, you, you do have a lot, you know, a, a lot of published books under your belt now. And I was wondering if there's anything that you do differently now as a writer from the way that you may have done it when you were coming up with The Goldfish Boy, your first book. Yes, absolutely. Um, So The Goldfish Boy, uh, like I mentioned before, I just started. I didn't plan anything. I just started with the first sentence and kept going. And I, to be honest, I did get in a real tangle and a real mess. I'd lost track of what day it was and who lived where on the street. And it was, it took a long, long time, a lot of unpicking. I hadn't worked out, there's a character who goes missing in the story and I hadn't worked out (laughs) what had happened to him, even though I was halfway through the book. So it was really, it was a real learning curve. I thoroughly enjoyed it in some respects, but I also learnt that, that it just took far too long. My next few books, I kind of roughly plotted and had a rough idea of what was going to happen. I always write a synopsis because now I have an editor. We Between us, we just, it's a sort of mutual decision about what I'm going to write because they are the people that are going to be publishing this book. They want to make sure that I'm writing something they want to publish. Yeah. So there's a lots of kind of planning that I wouldn't have done the first time around. But now this book that I'm writing at the moment, I've, for the very first time, I have sort of planned the whole book. So I have chapter breakdowns. And there's lots of parts of the book that I've still put, not sure what's going to happen here, not sure what's going to happen there. But I have an overall book planned in my in on paper, ready to go. So it's kind of not a job that I enjoy doing. So I don't enjoy that. But I do feel like it will probably be easier to write because of that. One of those jobs that it's good to have done, even if it's not much fun to do. Mm, Exactly. And I know lots of authors plan and plot their novels, and I don't know any of them who actually enjoy it. (laughs) So I think I'm I'm quite, um, yeah, I think that's quite normal, really. Well, that's useful to know. And during that time, if you had to pick out the one piece of advice that you'd been given that was that was the most useful to you. Could you do that? Oh, I know that's, that's a tricky a really one. Sorry, it is. I've, I've, I've so many. Almost, I have too many recommendations of of how. To, my biggest recommendation is to start 
I think. And I think that's um, lots of us. This is definitely something I did. I used to think about it, think and think, oh, yes, I'll do that one day. Or I'd even have an idea, but not sit down and actually start writing. And I do see it a lot with writers who kind of too frightened to start putting the words on the page in case it doesn't sound right. But you must learn that writing is all about editing. So don't fear putting those words down because you can make them better. You can change it. And we all change. I My first drafts of my books are awful and they it's just <laughs> the editing that makes them readable. <laughs> and I think everybody would, all other authors would agree as well. So, so start, don't be too frightened to start. Get something down on the page. That's really good advice. We're nearly at the end of our time, Lisa, but there was something else I wanted to try with you, which I thought might be fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit of a bit of a thought experiment. I want you to imagine that you are the host of Author in Your Classroom. It's your podcast. And for your okay. next guest, you can have absolutely any author from any period in history to speak to you for half an hour about their, about their books and about their writing. But you're only allowed to choose one. Oh. Who are you going to choose? I would choose Julia Donaldson. Oh, the Gruffalo. And I think I was introduced to her with my children reading her books. And The Snail and the Whale is one of my all-time favourite books of forever. I just think it's wonderful. And I have tried to write a short um, picture book before, and it's the hardest thing to do. And I would just love to talk to her about how she works and how she works with the illustrator Axel, uh, I can't pronounce his surname, Axel Sheffer. (laughs) Um, just to find out how they work as a team. And yes, I think she would be my choice. Okay, well, I will make a note of that. This this is my new method for, for working out which guests I need to get on the podcast yes. for future episodes. Yes. So I have I have more. I'm thinking of all the other authors that I know and love so well and like Anjali Ralph and oh, she's, she'd be a wonderful guest as well. It, yeah, the, the endless, wrote, endless the, stream of people the boy in the classroom. To, to speak to about the, the yes. books that we love. Yeah. Well, that, that's just about it for us, I think, Lisa. And uh I will see what I can do. It's been such a joy talking to you today. On behalf of all our listeners, can I please say a huge thank you for being today's author in your classroom? Oh, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll be back soon with another guest. See you soon. Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. 
We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible. So please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen with author in your classroom and Plazoom.